went to Averill. Those names that went before Lori and Billy, all of those who were here among us at one point in time and whose lives quickly faded like a vapor in the wind and they are gone from our presence, but in the presence of our great Savior. It's wonderful to remember. It's wonderful to remember those who went before us, but it's also wonderful to remember to remember ourselves that our lives are quickly fading. We're a vapor in the wind. And our, that vapor is quickly dissipating. And one day, all of us in this room will face the Savior. Hopefully all of you in this room know him as your Savior and your Lord. And so you will not face him in judgment but you will face him as one of his children redeemed from among men. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful Savior we have. We'd ask you your prayers as we leave tomorrow morning, bright and early, for heading out to Chicago. We'll be out in Chicago for a couple of weeks, uh, Chicago, Kentucky area, Missouri area, for, for a couple of weeks. We'll be out with our, our daughters. I've already shared this with you, but I'll share it again, so we'll be fresh in your mind, so you'll be able to pray for us. Um, we'll spend a few days with Kim and Larry before they head back to the Philippines. They'll be bringing their, their son Tyler out to Calgary, Alberta this week and dropping them off there. And I know that my daughter and my son-in-law will be shedding lots of tears as they leave him behind, not only halfway across the country, but on the other side of the world when they head back to the Philippines at the end of, end of this month. So I'll be praying for them as well in that and then we'll be heading to spend some time with our daughter, Abby, and Daniel. They'll be coming down to meet us. And, and we'll have time with seven of our eight grandchildren, which always makes the time wonderful. And so please be praying for us as we make that trip. Turn with me again to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at who we are. Who we are as those who have come to know Christ as our Savior. And we went through the first chapter of this wonderful letter, this wonderful epistle. And there he told us, he wrote to us under inspiration of the Spirit of God, who we are in Christ and the blessings which we possess in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we, we're not going to go back and reiterate or go back and review all of those things again. But know who we are is so important when you get to the latter portions of this letter. As I said in the first message we had, the first chapters in Paul's, just about all of his epistles, in fact, I believe it's in all of his epistles, the first chapter is he, he sets down doctrine, he sets down truths, he sets down things that he wants to teach, that he wants to encourage the believers in, that he wants to challenge them in. And then in the latter chapters, he puts practical application to the things he has taught. He says, now these are the things that are true, these are the facts, this is what you need to be doing as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, now do them. Now you are a saint, now act like one. 
You are a saint. You are a believer. You are one who is in Christ. Now act and live that out. That is what he does in the challenges that he gives after he teaches. And I think it's a good lesson for us to learn. When we learn from the Word of God, and we're studying the Word of God, that we begin to put those things into action in our own lives. Otherwise, it's just words on a page, my brothers and sisters. It's just words on a page to fill our minds with knowledge. And that's not why he gave it to us. He didn't give it to us just so we could fill our minds with knowledge. He gave it to us so we would know the living God and live as those who know the living God. That our lives would be lived for his glory. So in chapter 6 this week, we've gone from the beginning, the first chapter, all the way to the last chapter. That does not mean that there's not a lot of need in the middle. We just don't have the time to go over all of that wonderful truth, wonderful meat that's in the middle of this epistle. But most of you in this room have studied it many, many times and have been blessed and encouraged through the words that, that Paul wrote for us here. But let's go to chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, in conclusion... My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this portion of his precious word. And let's pray together. Father, how we need you in our lives. Father, we ask that you would bless and encourage and strengthen us through your word, through the power of your spirit working within us. May he be the one who is teaching our hearts as your words are taught today. Lord, bless and encourage, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In the very first message I gave on this series, I made this statement. I'm going to reiterate it again this morning. The world in which we live presently, the country in which we live presently, is in a mess. It's in a mess. And if you didn't realize that, you've been living under a rock somewhere. The country in which we live and the world in which we live is in a mess. And this reality continues to bombard us day in and day out. 
if you watch the news at all, if you live in this society at all, it's bombarding you day after day after day. Charles Colson in his book, I believe it was, How Now Shall We Live? And some of you know Charles Colson, you know his ministry, you've read his books. He said this, life is a mess. And theology must be lived out in the midst of that mess. Genuine Christianity is a way of seeing and comprehending all reality. It is a world view. What is our world view? What is our world view? Our world view is reflected by who we are. By who we are. That's why we studied those first portions. America is no longer, my friends, America is no longer the country that some of us remember. Some of us remember so clearly. Where we could, as kids go out in the morning, play in the streets all day, wander around the neighborhood, and come home, and not my, our parents didn't even worry. The neighborhood where the things were not being taught to us in school that we ought not to be taught in school. It just wasn't so in the America that my father grew up in, the America that I grew up in until this age in which we live now. The America that we live in, the country that some of us remember, the culture and the society around us is rapidly changing. And it is increasing in the speed in the changes that are taking place to a point where unless the Lord intervenes in some special way and some special revival takes place, we are heading on a crash course, on a crash course that's going to lead us into a situation that there is no escape from any longer. No escape from any longer. The set of shared values, shared attitudes and goals and practices that characterized America. The so-called moral fiber that used to be a part of this culture. Doesn't mean that there wasn't immorality. There always was. There always has been. But the moral fiber of this country has been eroded away. It's eroded away. Slowly and relentlessly, it is being replaced. And a change in our culture has been occurring, whether we like it or not. Whether you can define culture or not, we know what the culture is. And we know that it is quickly changing. We know it's quickly changing. I think most of us in this room would agree with Paul, as we mentioned in our first message and we mentioned in our second message, that we, as the church in this age, are living in perilous times. We are living in perilous times. Not only because of the, the immorality that surrounds us, not only because of all that we've seen, but because of even the wars and the corruption that is throughout societies in this world.
Many have referred to the, our country as living in the post-Christian era. That the influence of Christianity from the West is no longer the influence that, it, that, that uh, I have to use the word influence again, people in this day and age like it once did. I don't, I don't agree with that terminology. I don't agree with this as a post-Christian era. The post-Christian era will come when the Lord says it comes. Because he is building his church, and the gates of hell will not, will not, the gates of hell will not overcome. And so when he is finished building his church, that will be the post-Christian era. When we are taken up in rapture, and the church is gone, and the Spirit of God and his restraining work is removed, that will be the post-Christian era. Because he is still building his church. He is still building his church. We have been called to this hour. This is our moment in God's timeline. This is our moment in God's timeline, as we've mentioned before. Gary, Gary Hamrick, I don't know if any of you have ever listened to him. He's, he preaches out of a, out of a uh, non-denominational church in uh, Leesburg, Virginia, really close to the outskirts of, of Washington, D.C., and he's been preaching there for, since 1987, the same year that we were commended to the work. He was commended to the work there. He's been preaching and pastoring in that work for all those years. And he, he wrote this, and, and John would be very proud of him because he uses this alliteration method. And he, he says this, There are three kinds of churches in today's world. Three kinds of churches. Some will be complicit participating in the culture without standing against it. And we see those all over. You just drive around town, and you'll see those who are complicit. And they're proud of being complicit. They'll put their banners out front to show that they're complicit with the immorality that we see around us. And they don't stand against it. Some, he said, will be complacent. Some will be complacent, disagreeing with the culture, but not actively opposing the culture. Just being in agreement that it's wrong, it's not good. Then there are those who will be courageous churches, saying what needs to be said and doing what needs to be done and accepting the consequences without self-pity or without anger. What kind of local church are we? We are certainly not. And we are not. We are not complacent. But we need to be courageous. We need to be courageous to say what needs to be said and to stand where we need to stand. Immovable, unmovable in the truth of the Word of God, without compromise. Without compromise. 
which type of local church are we? We know who we are in Christ. We know who we are in Christ. And how does that work itself out in our day-to-day lives as believers and as the church? This local expression of a visible church. We as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who still hold to the literal truth of the Word of God should not walk along the same paths as those who do not know Him. Now, it sounds like a rather obvious statement. It sounds like a rather clear and obvious statement. But we have a tendency to drift into adapting to the culture around us, and therefore we need to be warned. We have a tendency to drift. You see, culture is developed over periods of time. It doesn't happen in a moment. It's not it, culture isn't changed by a moment in time. It's changed over decades of time. And for decades of time and years of time, the culture has been eroding in which we live. Over time, little by little, these things change. And little by little, we tend to adapt to the culture around us. We tend to adapt. What we do, we're human beings. And because it comes on so slowly, we adapt to it as it moves along. And then suddenly it gets to a point where you say, how did we get here? Well, because little by little, the church accepted. The church was complacent. And the church is always years behind, it seems. At least it seems that way to me. We have come to the point where we need to declare where we stand. Where do we stand? Where do we hold our ground in this culture in which we live? Where are we holding our ground? Are we... Those who, who prepare our hearts and souls and are ready to be canceled, ready to be shamed, ready to be called haters, when our hearts are not hating, are we ready in this world in which we live to be canceled by those around us, to be shamed? All of these things are yet one more opportunity for us to prove that Christ is more precious to us than our livelihood. Christ is more precious to us than our reputation. Christ is more precious to us than even our families. And our allegiance to Christ means we cannot stay silent and hide. We cannot stay silent and hide. Actually, that's wrong. We can't stay hide, silent and hide. But it's not the right thing to do. We can't stay silent and hide. But one day, you, one day myself, I will stand before the Lord Jesus. And I will look into his face. And he will ask me, the gifts that I have given to you, the gifts that I gave you, the privileges that you had, how did you use them for my glory? When you had to stand up for truth, 
and yet you chose not to. Even though I blessed you with everything you needed to stand up, what will we say in that day? What will we say? I didn't know. Well, you did know. What kind of people will we be going forward in this culture in which we live? We are those who must be aligned with the Scripture. We must be those who walk with the Savior. Sometimes in, it's becoming more and more frequent that political issues are forcing us into a moral corner. And there we must choose what we're going to do in that corner. Are we going to stand up against the forces of evil? Or will we cower in the corner, cower in the shadows? It's a question we have to ask each, our, ourselves. As individuals, we have to ask ourselves these things. Are we ready? Are we ready to choose sides? Are we ready to choose sides with the world or with Christ? It's coming to that. It's turning to that. Are we going to change? Are we going to choose sides? There was a time not long ago when I could disagree with someone's lifestyle, and I could tell them that I disagree with their lifestyle. And they wouldn't hate me. They would just say we disagree. And we could still be friends. Not true anymore. It just is not true anymore. And in the end, they will hate me, call me a racist, call me xenophobic, call me whatever they want to call me, a Nazi, a fascist, because I will not agree with them and I will stand for the truth of the Word of God. Am I willing, are we willing to be accused of those things because we will stand with Christ? We will stand with Christ. Standing in this time, in this environment, will cost us. It will cost us. But remember, and this I emphasized a couple of times already, and I'm going to emphasize it once again. Remember, my brothers and sisters, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against men and women who do not know Christ. We, we cannot stir within our hearts hatred for those God loves. We cannot stir hatred in our hearts and speak of it in hateful terms to one another for those who God loves. We cannot love the things God hates. We cannot love the things God hates. We cannot compromise with the things God hates. The immorality. We cannot stand and be complacent. We cannot stand and say, your immorality is okay. We must stand for what is true and what is right. But it will cost you. You've seen the banners, haven't you? And I may have mentioned this already once. But you saw the banners, didn't you? 
that said there's nothing, there's no hate like Christian love. Because even though you may say, listen, I love you. As an individual, I care for your soul. I just can't condone your sin. That will be construed as hatred. So where do we stand? Where do we stand? We must stand for what is true. We must stand for what is right. And we're going to get gobbled up in this world. And there may come a time, and I've said this, I've said this from this platform three years ago. I said there may come a time when someone's going to come in and demand to be put into fellowship who we cannot allow to come into fellowship to break bread around this table to remember the Lord with us because they are living in immorality. And because we do so, we will be reported to the law. There will be lawsuits put against us. We will be called haters. There will be protesters. And the church will go underground. Because either we will stand for what is right, or you will fall into the path of the enemy of your soul. We have to make a choice. So we saw, I bet you thought we are never going to get to chapter 6, and we're almost not going to get there. So now I have to come back on the 30th. <laughs> but you see here, in Ephesians chapter 6, what we saw in chapter 1. You see that God has provided for you and for me everything we need in this battle against the forces of wickedness in this world. Not against people, against the force of wickedness in this world where we stand our ground. We do not move. We stand our ground. All the things that he has given to us, all the blessings that he has provided for us, he now applies here in chapter 6. And now we are to appropriate these things into our lives. You see, this, this picture of the soldier is an analogy. And, and when you deal with analogies, anytime you deal with an analogy, but particularly when you deal with an analogies, or, or you might even call this an extended metaphor, it's, a, it's an analogy. He's using this analogy... You do not emphasize the analogy. You emphasize the truth that the analogy is trying to teach you. Right? Too often you hear messages on the armor of God, and everybody talks about the armor. The armor is just the analogy. It's what the, it's what the analogy is pointing to, the truth that it's pointing to that is important. You look down at this list. What is it that he has provided for us? He has provided for us truth. He has provided for us faith. He has provided for us access into his presence. He has provided for us, he has provided for us um, righteousness. He has provided for us all of these things, salvation. These are all things that he has provided for us in order that we might fight. And he uses the analogy of a soldier in order to bring those truths to us. That's all the things that he has already provided. We are enjoined 
to appropriate what you already possess to fight the enemy. It's not like you have to try something new. It's what you have in Christ. So it says here, finally, my brother, in conclusion to all that I've been teaching you, and there's much in there that we haven't covered, but in all that I've been teaching to you, my brother, be strong. Be strong. And that's a present passive imperative. So it's present imperative. That always means it's like a habitual thing that you should be doing all the time. This is something you should be doing all the time as a lifestyle, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be strong. But you notice it's not active in voice. It's passive in voice. Active in voice means you're the one doing it. Passive in voice means they're actually being done to you. So be strong. No, I'm not doing the action. How am I getting strength? In the Lord. It's the Lord that's giving you the strength. It's the Lord that is giving you the power. It's the Lord that does it. You are to appropriate the power that is already yours because you're in Christ. He's giving it to you. You have no, you have no strength in of yourself to fight the enemy. You know, we used to sing that song. Go tell Satan to sit on attack. But Michael the archangel dared not bring a railing accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Michael the archangel, the powerful angel of God, dared not bring a railing accusation against Satan, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And we need to be those who recognize that same thing. In and of yourself, my brothers and sisters, you have no power against the enemy of darkness. But because you are Christ, and he has all authority, as we read in, in Ephesians, all authority of all principalities and powers, and you are in him. That's where you stand. That's where your strength is. Your strength is in the Lord. It's in the power of his might. His might. As soon as we start thinking we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we can do it on our own, you are in serious trouble. Serious trouble. Grave trouble. Because you will just fail and fall flat on your face. We are those who must be yielding ourselves over and over to the one who is our power and is our strength against the enemies that confront us. Without him, we cannot stand in that day. So he says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. My brethren, be strong in the power of his might. Two different words. One has this idea of just the strength, the power, and the other one has this idea of this mighty, immense, and powerful when he talks about might, the word that he translates there, might. There is, there is, there is no one more powerful than the God who we serve. Is that, is that true? Do you really believe it? There is no one more powerful than the one who is in you. No one more powerful. So he says, 
Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Now this is this is an aorist imperative, which which presents some very interesting things because he's going to use that over and over again in this in this section. He will use this over and over again. And the voice is middle. So it's a it's a aorist middle imperative. So the imperative is the command, right? Aorist has no relationship to time. It, it, the aorist tense really doesn't relate to past, present, future. It's more or less a statement, a factual statement that's being made. And now it's in the imperative, so it has this idea of making a one-time event. It's more of an aspect than it is a tense. He says, so he's saying here, put on the armor of God now. Right now. It is a simple, simple text. It forms a command that you're expected to do, and it's a fulfillment in a single event. You, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, put on the armor of God as an event right now. Because usually a lot of times the heiress with the imperative has, a, has the idea of do this and do it now. Do it now. Appropriate what God has given to you. Now. As a single event in the sense that that's why it's often translated a past tense. Because it's a single event. Do it. Put it on. Put on the whole armor of God. It's His armor that we put on. It's what He has provided that we exercise in in order to defeat the enemy of our soul. Put on the whole armor of God. And that, in closing, I should, I should emphasize the idea too that in the, when it's in the middle voice like that, it means you're participating in the action. So it's not like it's in, when it's in an active voice, you're doing the action. When it's in a passive voice, the action's being done to you. When it's in the middle voice, it has the idea that you're participating in this action. You're participating in the action. You're not solely doing it, but you are participating in it. So he commands, as a one-time thing, put on the armor of God. It's what God has given to you, now appropriate it to your life. We have a responsibility there. There's a responsibility there for us. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, that you may be able to stand against the trickery and the wiles and the craftiness of the deceiver, of the devil. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand. Without it, you will not be able to stand. Does that make sense? I mean, do we grasp that truth? I mean, I think any of us who have lived in the Christian life long enough understand that truth because we've tried it on our own. We thought we were strong in the faith. And so we went out in the strength of our faith and we found out you are rest in the strength of your faith. You rest in the Lord in His might. Because otherwise you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. And it's going to happen over and over until you get used to the idea that, listen, 
I'm going to put on the whole armor of God, and then I will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I need his truth. I need the gospel. I need his truth. I need the gospel. I need righteousness, which is all mine. He's given this all to me already. I need faith. I need prayer. I need the word of God. All of these things you possess. Now appropriate them. In the war against the enemy, not appropriate it in the war against flesh and blood, men and women who are in error and who are sinning and have no, because they're sinners, they're under the wrath of God and the wrath of God abides on them. But he loves them and he wants them to be saved. He just let this out and they should perish, but they all should come to salvation. And that includes all of those individuals that you can think of right now that are living in immorality, that are living in, in all kinds of different sins. Love them. Love them, but yet stand for what is true and what is right without wavering and be willing to accept the consequences. Father, we give you thanks for the greatness of your power toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But he also died for all of those in the world that are living in these lives that we consider to be so immoral and wrong because your word says it's wrong. But you died for them too. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us to stand our ground in truth, to stand our ground with the gospel, to stand our ground in salvation and in faith, to stand our ground and yet at the same time, be those who are prepared with the gospel to share the truth that can change lives, can redeem lives. Father, we commit these things into thy care, asking for your direction and your guidance in our hearts and lives. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're going to try to get back here by the 30th to finish up looking at this armor of God and how we need to appropriate these things into our